the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into hour two. Six zero two five zero nine six zero is the number. Six zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. In case you missed it in the last hour, a second uh, tranche of um, classified documents has now been found uh, to have been held by uh, Joe Biden. We don't know a lot about them. We don't know the where, and we don't know the how many. We just know it's been a second tranche. The question I find so interesting about all of this, as I was remarking in the previous hour, is on the original story, you know, the story in which Joe Biden is oh so innocent and didn't know he had them. It was, the as we were told when CBS broke it, quote, the documents were discovered when Mr. Biden's personal attorneys were packing files housed in a locked closet to prepare to vacate office space at the Penn Biden Center in Washington, D.C., quoting from the CBS story. And it just strikes me, who hires attorneys to do their office moving for them, especially if you don't think there's anything remarkable or classified or secret or special to be moved? And if you do, usually you would have, you know, closer associates than attorneys do it for you. Who who doesn't hire movers to move their papers? I, I've just, is anyone asking why attorneys at eight hundred, nine hundred, a thousand dollars an hour, rather than you know two guys with a truck or whatever? Why 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 did he hire? White shoe attorneys, high 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 cost white shoe attorneys to do the moving form, especially again, if they thought there was nothing particularly, you know, unusual in the papers that they were moving, you know, just as personal papers. Well, we'll find out a lot more about this or we won't. I, you know, it is amazing how much we don't know already. We evidently have also learned today that this discovery was made six days before the election. The discovery was not on Monday. The discovery was not yesterday. The discovery was a week before the January 8th election, six days before the January 8th election, and kept under wraps until just now. Pretty curious, all of that, isn't it? I was in the last uh, segment of the last hour just having a little stroll down memory lane, based on uh, my associate producer's uh, lapel pin, a political pin for John Lindsay, just uh, not that he's a Lindsay Republican, but just he wears memorabilia uh, from time to time around here. And uh, I was I was thinking about, you know, when John Lindsay first became famous, it was because he ran for and won the office of mayor in New York City. And I was reading a speech from William Buckley as to why William Buckley was running against a Republican uh, who was running for mayor of New York City, and it was because John Lindsay was the kind of Republican that doesn't distinguish himself really from Democrats. And in that speech of William Buckley's announcing his candidacy and his critique of John Lindsay, he was raising issues of crime, he was raising issues of drugs, and he was raising issues of homelessness. That was 1965, and I dawned on me how much worse things have gotten here. Here's a little bit of an experiment, a little bit of a 
I don't know if it's a thought experiment. I guess it's a prediction experiment. Work with me and help help me on this tomorrow. For those of you that have heard me on the drug issue, talking about the drug problem in America or in Arizona, or have read my writings on it, you will uh, you will know that I often remark that 1979 was the high watermark of drug use in America. 1979, by every accounting and by all research, particularly what was known as the household survey, um, 1979 was the worst year of drug use in this country. And uh, we point that out because we like to also point out you can do something about it. We did something about it over the next, uh, you know, 12, 13 years. We reduced that number by 65 percent. We got drug use down into the 5 percent. We went from 14.1 percent of Americans regularly regularly using drugs in 1979 about 5.1%. But 14.1% was the highest number of drug use in America in our history until this morning. Until this morning. The new household survey just came out from the Department of Health and Human Services, and regular drug use in this country is now at 14.3%. was our worst until this morning. We now hit a new high water mark of drug use. Keep in mind, we got it down to the five percents. We got it down into the fives. Be interesting to see how many headlines remark on this tomorrow. It is a remarkable thing to have done. I was going to say it's a remarkable thing to achieve, but this is not an achievement. When we let up the uh, accelerator on going after illegal drug use in this country in the 1990s when we got it down to 5%, 5.1%. Um, it was no accident that at all levels, demand and the need for social services exploded along with all the increases in chronic homelessness, addiction, crime, mental health requirements, and yes, premature death. About 80% of crime is committed by people using illegal drugs, about 80 percent. Ask any ask any district attorney, ask any police chief. Now think about that premature death issue. Who the heck is talking about this? Fox News will do a story on it once in a while. They'll do it, of course, here on this show quite, quite often. But when we got drug use down to 5.1 percent in this country, the year was 1992, So, yeah, it took us 13 years and we reduced it 65%. So in 1992, that was our low water mark for drug use in this country. The U.S. population was about 255 million people. And we were losing about 10,000 Americans a year to drug poisonings. You will often hear the phrase overdose. But as Bill Bennett likes to say, it's not an overdose. It's a dose. It's not an overdose. If you're taking illegal drugs. That's not a dose. A dose is a legitimate prescribed thing. It shouldn't be considered an overdose. It's a dose. I just call it a poisoning. Okay. So in 1992, in a country of 255 million people, we were losing about 10,000 Americans a year to drug poisonings, drug deaths. 
Today, with a population of 333 million, we are losing 106,000 Americans a year to drug poisonings. So consider, while the country grew in population by just under a third, just under 33 percent, drug deaths grew by nearly 1,000 percent. Think about that. Think about that. You know, this is where I usually raise the issue of the Vietnam Memorial Wall. It has about 58,000 names on it. Any of you have visited it know how long and dark a scar in the ground that is. It's huge. It's immense. It's dark. It's sad. And that's 58,000 names. And it took 16 years of the Vietnam War to amass all those 58,000 names. 16 years. If you want the perspective of what we're losing in drug deaths every year in America, just consider we could be building two walls a year. Two Vietnam Memorial-sized style walls a year with our drug deaths in this country. Think about that. Think about that. The President of the United States created the Office of National Drug Control Policy when he was in the Senate in the 1980s. And it was that office that helped in working with the Partnership for a Drug-Free America with the ads and the campaigns against drug use and prevention that got those numbers down. He has said not word one, not word one about the drug problem in this country. Do you think there will be headlines on this tomorrow? Do you think there will be? You damn well know that if a Republican were president and reached a new high-water mark on illegal drug use in this country, it would be everywhere. Or do you think this will be buried or hidden or forgotten? I don't know a family anymore. I don't know a family anymore that hasn't had to deal with the ravages of this problem. It is everywhere and it is getting worse. And today we beat our 1979 high watermark record today. Not a very good achievement that. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Are you concerned with stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market? It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like. No surprises. You can turn the monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily, you are paid monthly, and there are no fees. It's a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate up to 10.25%. That's right, 10.25% rate of return. YReFi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. They're a local company. You can give them a call, talk to them. You won't get a sales pitch. They just uh, are great guys who like uh, talking about what it is they do. They leave the uh, promotions to Larry Elder and myself. Uh, talking about these other self-imposed areas of social and national self-destruction, you know, I was just so... 
piqued by the interest of what Buckley was talking about in New York City in 1965 on so many of those fronts. The problems were, as strongly as he spoke about them, so much smaller in scale than what and where we are at today. There's this interview that's uh, really good. I want to commend it to you over at the Daily Signal between uh, Charlotte Allen and um, and a 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 author, uh, Chris uh, Chris Valentin. And she says this in the interview. If you could talk a little bit about how we got where we are. We're living in a point of time where one in four kids in America are growing up without a father in the home. And when you say that you can almost be numb to that, which is itself shocking, the question is how did we get to this place where, one, there are so few fathers in the home, but then also how society is numb to the issue of fatherlessness? Chris Valentin says, you're right. 51% of all children in America right now are born out of wedlock. Think about that. 51%. Just for contrast, in 1950, 4% of Americans were born out of wedlock. So think about, you want to talk about a pandemic. There is a pandemic of fatherlessness in this country. And he goes on. What we need to realize is that we live in the most fatherless generation in the history of the modern world, at least since we've been keeping track of statistics in which our fathers are alive, but not home. And that has never happened in modern culture. In other words, we've had more fatherless generations in history, like during the Civil War, but our fathers died in a war. But what happened, he writes or says, depends on how far back we want to trace But this exponential growth of fatherlessness really was birthed primarily, or we could say tracked primarily, in the 1960s. Think about the theme song, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Have sex with whoever you want. Don't worry about commitment. It's all about how you feel. No need to take any responsibility. And that seeded and accelerated a culture of no responsibility. And then we had in our school system, Darwinism was introduced in our school systems in the 1920s, but it never got any traction until the sexual revolution where people were living like crud and didn't want to answer to anything very much higher. And so the Darwinism, Darwinism gave people the ability to have a clean conscience from the standpoint that there would be no creator to answer to. You are an evolutionized evolutionalized amoeba, or you are, depending on what kind of evolution you believe in, some kind of animal where you can behave like one rather than a human. And part of what happened, he goes goes on to say, in that not only did you not answer to a creator, but you didn't have a destiny. If you're a cosmic burp, you're the fittest of a species. You don't actually have an eternity. So why not party it up? There's nothing to answer to. And there's a lot of things that happened in that. And now we have the influence of overcoming even more nature with transgenderism. I don't know if you know this, Virginia, he says to Virginia, the interviewer, but we actually don't keep fatherless statistics anymore. 
After 2017, the government doesn't even release statistics about fatherlessness because we actually don't think we need a father and because mothers and fathers are interchangeable. So now you have toxic masculinity. And if you don't want toxic masculinity, you can feminize a generation and just have men become women. Anyway, that's where we're at. He goes on. Let me give you some statistical implications. 75% of all inmates in prison or jail grew up without a father. 63% of all youth suicides come from fatherless homes. So you're five times more likely to commit suicide if you don't have a dad. 32 times more likely to be homeless if you don't have a dad. 32 times more likely. 20 times more likely to show a behavior disorder. This is a huge one, he goes on. Gets into issues 14 more times likely to engage in sexual violence and rape if you don't have a dad. And 71% of all high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. You're nine times more likely to drop out of school if you don't have a dad. These are the side effects of fatherlessness, and nobody's talking about this. You don't even have to be religious to understand these statistics. Well, no one is maybe a slight exaggeration, but not more than a slight exaggeration. Larry Elder is on a tear about this. Again, I had him on last Friday. If you missed that, you can hear him on at uh, 960thepatriot.com, where we keep all our interviews. You can access them for free. He's going around the country giving speeches on this. He's the right one to do it. It's amazing. We just kind of erase these toxic elements. We stop keeping statistics on these things because we don't think it matters anymore. Takes me back to that issue I was talking about with you yesterday. And if you do engage in some unhealthy behaviors, well, there's always a pill and surgery for that. Look at what the American Pediatric, American Academy of Pediatricians said yesterday. If you are 12 years old, and obese, you can now be given a pill or surgery. But don't, whatever you do, talk about it as a behavioral issue. Folks, most of our problems are behavioral issues, most of them, at least the last three I mentioned, and they're killing us. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Our friends at the Midas Gold Group, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, want to remind you that you can start the year by securing the value of your cash reserves and investments and garden against many are predicting will be a brutal year for the value of the dollar and stock market with precious metals from the Midas Gold Group. The economic signs are are worrisome, and I urge you to trust the precious metals dealer that Seb Gorka, I, and thousands of you already trust. That is the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to safeguard your wealth with the stability of gold. Gold holds its value when economies fail. And with stocks and bonds crashing over 20% last year, gold has held its value. Those who invested with Midas Gold Group created a hedge against the ravages of inflation and the upcoming recession. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or better yet, give them a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000.
We'll talk with uh, John Shattig in the next hour about uh, the um, we'll take a look back with him on uh, on a lot of things. But I also want to talk to him a little bit about the um, McCarthy speakership is something to keep in mind. Our friends at Issues and Insights have reminded us that with all the investigations that uh, we look forward to taking place, there are decades of Democratic corruption and malfeasance that need to be exposed to the public, untangled and then removed. Take a look at the IRS, this time at the agency's targeted harassment of the poorest taxpayers who cannot defend themselves from the Leviathan, and do it in light of the 87,000 new IRS employees that will be hired through the Democrats' Inflation Reduction Act passed in August. The House Republicans just voted to defund it, but it'll probably survive in the Senate, and it won't be going past Joe Biden. Dig not just into the origin of COVID-19, but also the lockdowns and vaccine and mask mandates. Such egregious violations of liberty should never happen again in this country. But they will, the next time likely in an effort to protect the climate. If the Republicans don't start making a hard stand against government encroachment and hold the lockdown mask-up maniacs accountable. House Republicans should also dig deep into the Hunter laptop scandal, Hunter Biden laptop scandal. The country deserves to know if the Biden family with Joe at the top is the criminal enterprise it appears to be, or if the Bidens have been unfairly maligned. That is a possibility, after all. Another festering sore that needs to be investigated is election integrity. Are Republicans and conservatives truly the only election deniers in this country? Have there been no violations? Did the other party not deny elections, and what were the consequences of those? It was a one-off story, just a one-off, in one newspaper on Monday that the 2016 Russian Twitter campaign changed zero votes for Donald Trump. Zero. They couldn't find a vote in a study conducted by New York University. Other investigations should include... The House Speaker's role in January 6th. Why was the offer of deploying the National Guard not accepted? And California Democratic Representative Adam Schiff's pressure on Twitter to ban independent journalists and authors from Paul Sperry at Issues and Insights to Alex Berenson. The Democrats, they write, have worked diligently for decades trying to remake America into something less than America. They want this country to be their playground, the middle and lower classes their serves, the opposition to their mad power grab shut down and shut out. They've used crises after crises to extend their reach and are practitioners of the old strategy of tearing the country's political, economic, and social fabric chip by chip so that they as saviors can orchestrate a full political takeover. It's up to the House GOP to uncover the dark side of the Democrats, which really is their side. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I've just been having so much fun looking back at that 1965 mayoral race um, inspired by uh, my associate producer's uh, lapel pin today uh, for John Lindsay. It was the 1965 uh, mayoral race uh, where William Buckley ran for office as uh, a conservative candidate for mayor, and uh, they, they did they did a um, they did a debate amongst the candidates uh, between William Buckley, Abe Beam, and John Lindsay on uh, I guess it was Meet the Press, and uh, I could uh, I could play a little audio. It is kind of fun. But as I was reminded a conver- of a conversation I had with our historian friend Tevi Troy, uh, oh, I don't know, about a year or so ago, we were talking about that 1965 race. Abe Beam became uh, – uh, well, John Lindsay won and became mayor. Then Abe Beam became mayor uh, after John Lindsay. And as uh, Tevi said, yeah, but the only person we're still talking about is William Buckley, who talks about Beam and who talks about – Lindsay, um, boy, his sharp and quick wit and comfort in front of a camera or a microphone when a liberal reporter was just wonderful. You can you you want you want a little audio? I don't know. It's it's well, yeah. We don't need to do it. I want to talk about. Um, we don't need to go down there right now. You can email me and let me know if you'd like me to play a little of the audio of William Buckley debating for mayor in nineteen. Um, 65. One of the things that I think is worth uh, talking about is another thing I don't know how much you're going to hear about. But today, Wednesday, is National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Jessica Vaughn writes in the New York Post that this is an occasion designed to draw attention to the presence of trafficking in our midst and the toll it takes on the victims. This year, For its most prominent anti-trafficking initiative, the Biden administration is urging the public to mark the day by wearing blue and sharing selfies on social media. Right. Right. My producers are shaking their heads. I'm sure what they're saying is, boy, that ought to fix it. The Biden border policies, Ms. Vaughn writes, meanwhile, have literally been contributing to the human trafficking problem every single day since January 20th. 2021, when the president began dismantling immigration enforcement, resulting in the mass migration crisis that continues today. Trafficking is the exploitation or enslavement of someone by force, fraud or coercion for labor, domestic servitude or commercial sex. Law enforcement agencies report that incidents have spiked in the last two years among an astounding 2.2 million migrants apprehended in fiscal year 2022. Overwhelmed border agents are told to catch and release huge groups of illegal migrants, processing them swiftly, preventing officers from doing proper vetting of those apprehended, and often missing the opportunity to detect trafficking. The migrants are deposited on the streets of cities and towns and border states or transported to destinations around the country where they are often isolated and vulnerable to exploitation and trafficking. State and local agencies end up having to cope. One Texas sheriff in a county along the smuggling routes told the recent conference of officials working to combat trafficking that before 2021, his deputies encountered one or two cases of trafficking a year, one or two. Last year, they dealt with 77. One or two cases a year to 77. 
In other horrific scenarios, smugglers persuade parents to hand over their children in pursuit of a quote-unquote better life, taking advantage of policies that virtually guarantee the release of the unaccompanied minor to a sponsor in the United States. In 2022, last year, nearly 130,000 such minors were released to a sponsor, a new record. Under President Joe Biden, the priority is to move the minors out of government custody as quickly as possible rather than conduct meaningful inquiry into the child's situation or ensure the minor is placed in an appropriate and safe household. Background checks and home visits rarely take place. Instead, contractors attempt to do a well check by phone. Not a particularly effective way to ascertain if the child is being trafficked, and about one-fifth of sponsors don't respond to the phone call in the first place. Yeah, just call a house and see if there's trafficking going on. Take the word of the person who answers the phone. These policies create an irresistible opportunity for labor and sex trafficking to occur. The traffickers promise naive immigrants jobs in the United States and instead lure them into indentured servitude. Peonage, sex trafficking, extortion, or demand they work for the smugglers to pay off their debts to the traffickers. Some traffickers prey on on minors staying in the crowded, lightly supervised shelters where they cluster after crossing illegally. Other kids fall in with gangs after reaching their destination and are sexually assaulted and pimped out for profit. A Reuters report last month exposed that several Hyundai Kia auto parts factories in Alabama had hired dozens of Central American miners who had crossed the border illegally. The policies that govern the placement of miners who arrive unaccompanied are inadequate to prevent them from being placed in inappropriate environments that include labor and sex trafficking situations and participation in or exposure to criminal gangs. These policies have always been inadequate in part due to the unmanageable volume of cases, but have been relaxed even more by this administration, increasing opportunity for bad actors to exploit the system. Swift release has been prioritized over the vetting of sponsors. The loose regulations of guest worker programs, especially the H-2A and H-2B programs, also contributes to trafficking. The H-2A visa is available for farm workers and the H-2B available to employers for seasonal unskilled non-farm labor. As one recent study found, conditions that create vulnerability for trafficking victimization are built into the temporary worker programs. Under Biden, the worksite audits and raids that used to catch some of these situations, trafficking situations, have been completely abandoned. We can and must do better. Every trafficking victim represents a failure in border security and often a failure in government policy. Congress and the president have many options to prevent, deter, and detect human trafficking. Start with securing the border, give more attention to worksite enforcement, and end the automatic release of minors into this country, instead emphasizing swift return to their home countries. Wearing blue and sharing selfies on social media is not going to cut it. I don't know. I haven't even seen that many people wearing blue and sharing selfies for this purpose. Oh, sure, sharing selfies, that's just de rigueur on social media day by day. Nothing special about doing it to virtue signal on National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. It is amazing to me for a country that tears itself inside out over its history of slavery 
can sit here and watch modern-day slavery explode all over again. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. All right, enough of you have emailed me uh, during the break that you would like to hear a little William Buckley running for mayor in 1965 on Meet the Press. Here he is. Um, uh, it's so much fun <laughs> if you like these kinds of things, which we do. This is William Buckley running for mayor, being in, in, um, getting the Inquisition from the liberal press uh, in uh, 1965 in his quest for the mayor of New York City. In view of your opinions of the last four presidents of the United States... I tried to say that like Kennedy. I don't know who did. I said the other three, though. Right. I'd be glad to elaborate on that. Well, in view of your <clears throat> opinions of three of the last four presidents, then, what do you think of the American voter? Well, I think the American voter uh, is often, uh, often has intuitions uh, which are, are better than those of their own presidents. That is to say, uh, I think that presidents tend to, during the recent period, tend to have drawn more strength from the voters than the voters from their presidents. Uh, as Franklin Adams once said, I think the, the average American is a little bit above average. Uh, and under the circumstances, uh, I rejoice over the influence of the people uh, over their elected leaders, since by and large, I think that they show more wisdom than their leaders or than their intellectuals. I've often been quoted as saying I would rather be governed by the first 2,000 people in the Boston Telephone Directory than by the 2,000 people on the faculty of Harvard University. Mr. Buckley, you talked a great deal about principles in this campaign. Wouldn't you agree that... That Mr. Lindsay's position in the 1964 election, to which you've taken such sharp exception, was an example of principle in politics, and that further your own principles are closer to those of Governor Wallace of Alabama and that faction of the Democratic Party than they are to the apparently dominant leadership of the Republican Party. No, I wouldn't agree with uh, the last part of your statement. I, I think it would have been perfectly principled for Mr. Lindsay last year to say, I can't stand it. I've been surrounded by Republicans for five years now, and I, it's, the situation is so sticky that I've got to cross the aisle and join the Democratic Party. That's what a man of principle, in my judgment, would have done. I don't think it's principle at all to expect the Republican Party to work for you, but to decline to work for the nominee of the Republican Party when the Republican Party uh, has a national convention and designates a leader. If Mr. Uh, Lindsay were to attempt to reconcile a principle with his own activities, he would become, as Mr. Harriman so recently urged him to be, a Democrat, in which case your own support of him, Mr. Wexler, would also come more naturally. <laughs> so Lindsay was being given the mantle of a man of character and principle as a Republican for not supporting the Republican nominee for the presidency, which would be Barry Goldwater. And Buckley said if he were a real man of character and principle, he would have said, I'm now a Democrat. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The party doesn't work for you. You work for the party. Someone who knows an awful lot about that. John Shattuck coming in studio and right up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.